Hi, this is Chris with Cafe Sola, and no, this isn't a class called Teaching Christian Basics. Well, not a class I did. This is Cafe Sola Productions. This is a Cafe Sola podcast. I am Chris Hogan, and this is one of my most favorite coffee mugs. going to talk about today? Well, today you're not going to hear me talk so much as you're going to hear Pastor Wolfmiller talk. I just got back from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. It was a wonderful drive. On the way there, I did two videos. Don't put those in front of your face. I did two videos, one driving there, one driving back. And right now, one of them actually has four views, if you can imagine that. So you need to be number five through, I don't know, a hundred. Pass it along. Share it with some friends. You need to subscribe, and you need to like it, and you need to share it. And that way, people will get to know me, get to know the cafe, and hopefully tune in when new videos come out. And why is that important? Well, because I'm an awesome teacher, that's why. (laughs) No, just kidding. Any good teaching I do, I give total credit to God for All the bad teaching that may or may not come, I will take full credit for that. And please, because I'm a layman, not a pastor, please feel free, gently, respectfully, politely, to post a comment and say, hey, could you explain what you said there a little bit further? And I'll probably say, well, if you watch the class before, you watch a couple classes after, you'll probably understand what I'm talking about there. Sometimes I do say things incompletely because honestly we just have to say so much every time we say everything right we have to say um oh i don't know say we're talking about how in the as american christianity class how they believe that they play a role in their in their works well don't you lutherans believe about good works well yeah we believe. so you just don't want to have to go into every single thing every single time so you have to kind of watch the breadth and depth of the teaching And that would be good. It'd be good for me, because I'm taking time to do these. I'll be quite honest with you about that. And it's the fact that there needs to be more Lutheran teaching online. So again, subscribe, like, share, follow, ring the bell, ding the bell, whatever you want to call it, and pass it along. Tell people, hey, here's something else you might want to add to your listening queue. These are also available in podcasts. You may be listening that way, not watching them on YouTube. And if that's the case, do whatever you have to do. Subscribe to whatever, follow whatever, and um, you'll get notified when new classes come out. Particularly very soon, since I had a chat with Pastor Wolf Miller today, very soon he will record a little introduction for me, and I'll start tagging that on the beginning of the Has American Christianity Failed Bible Study Book Study videos, and I'll start putting those out. And all things going well, You'll come out with one a week. Why one a week? Why not? You like to have regular content, right? And I have 40-some recorded already, so all I have to do is trim them, add his beginning, add a little stuff from me on the beginning and the end, put them out there, and you can listen to them. Anyway, today I was at St. Paul. Sorry to get you dizzy there. I was at St. Paul, and Pastor Wolf Miller is teaching Christian basics. Where? In confirmation class? No. 
He's teaching this in his Sunday morning adult Bible class. Isn't that really awesome? You might show up there and say, Christian basics, why in the world would I want to go to a Christian basics class? I've been a Christian my whole life. I've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it is. Why do I need the basics? Well, because of things like this. Pastor Wolfmiller has broken down lots of stuff in this study. This is part six of the study, including some very, very cool charts, which I hope to be able to post, if he'll let me. And some timelines, things like that. The history of Holy Week, that's pretty awesome. And, oops, my video is going into pause back there, so... Anyway, so what's today we were talking about the small catechism, you can see there, which the whole lesson is called We. I say we, like I stood up there with them, right? This is about redemption. What? The second article, right? So, it's pretty awesome. He talked about um, the what does this mean that comes from the small catechism, which is quite good. You'll like that. He talked about believing in and believing that. He also talked a little bit about pride. And this is something that I noticed, and you'll hear me ask a question in the video where I, I was focusing on where it says, that I may. Because we don't too often talk about this, right? Lutherans get accused all the time, from the beginning, because it's in the book of Concord, from the beginning, we get accused of forbidding good works, which is stupid. I'm sorry. It's foolish. Wait, I'm sorry. It's wrong. Um, Lutherans don't forbid good works. I think we just guard against good works that can get to become the focus where we can become pietists and we can think that somehow we play a role in our salvation, right? Which is one of those things we have to explain over and over and over again. This is one of my favorite charts. He started talking about the person and the natures of Christ. See? And this chart, this is a really good chart. Take a screen and grab that. It's a really good chart. It talks about docetism, Nestorianism, and all these other isms. Things that you may have heard before, like you've all heard of Eutychianism, right? We've all heard of that. Probably not. But we probably all have heard of Arianism. And he talks a little bit about that. Then he talks about the personal union. Well, what's the personal union? Well, that has to do with the person and two natures of Christ. There's a divine nature, right? Divine nature. And there's a human nature. And that's another really good chart, which he'll talk about in the video. And then he had to stop there. There's a little bit of a uh, Veterans Day thing, which took a little bit of time. So the class is really only about... 30 minutes or so, which is a good length, and I think you'll enjoy it. I will break in at some point just to give you a little message. But for now, without further ado, let's get to the class. Here's Pastor Wolfmiller. Uh, you guys know I've been reading a bunch on the martyrs. And um, one of the things that... Oh, hey, guys. Welcome back from New Mexico. <laughs> what? Surprise. Uh, the... Uh, uh, there was this, there was this way that when you signed up to be a Christian, you were putting your life on the line. We don't really have that anymore, but in the military you do. You sign up and you say, okay, uh, I'm willing to go and put my life on the line to protect the country. 
And that kind of that kind of heroicism is probably what was in the early church when it had to when you had to go to confirmation class. <laughs> confirmation class was like spiritual boot camp because you're going and you're putting your life on the line for this sort of thing. So God be praised uh, for those. I think we listed 30. How many? Uh, 37 active or past uh, veterans that we'll include in the prayers today. So thanks for that. Okay. Uh, the day is surely drawing near is our hymn. For Remember, we're in the end times now. I mean, we always are living in the end times, but we're in the last three weeks of the church here where we're talking about the end times. I want to... Uh, this whole hymn is great. But we'll sing the whole thing next week. So let's sing... I would like to sing... Okay, let's do this. Uh, oh, there's so many... Uh, okay, one, six, and seven. Let, let's sing stanzas one, six, and seven and rejoice in the teaching there.
I will, uh, maybe I'll, maybe we won't need it. Oh, we are going to want to look at it. On page 67, we talked about last week the, uh, the second article of the Creed has to do with Jesus. Are there any more handouts hanging around? Alas. Oh, there's some, right here. Who needs them there? We'll pass them down. Uh, the second article, which has to do with our Jesus, our Redeemer, we had on the bottom of page 67 and the top of page 68 the words from the Catechism, which I think are some of the most beautiful and precious words written down ever outside of the Scriptures. Uh, the words about who Jesus is and what he's done. Now remember, when we confess the Creed, we say, I believe in... Oh, this is, a, this is an important thing. When we confess the Creed, it's, I believe in... And then, when we, and then Luther teaches us to say, I confess that. So I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean? I believe that God has created me and all creatures. Or, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. What does this mean? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. So the creed gives us the I believe in and and then the explanation gives us, I believe that. Now, what's the difference between in and that? It's the person and the work. So, I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe that God has made me. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus has redeemed me. So, when we confess the creed, we're confessing both the person and the work. And when it gets to the second article of the creed, it's the person and the work of Jesus. Now, these words here, if this, I don't know how many words are in the second article, maybe 115 words, are going to answer just about every major question that we have in life. So first, the question is, well, who is Jesus? And look what it says. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. Wow. I mean, that just those, I mean, it's, it's like half of a sentence. And it already tells us who Jesus is, that he's true God, that he's true man, and that he's our Lord, that is, he's our Redeemer. And then, what has Jesus done? The next line, he has redeemed me. What does it mean to redeem? It means to buy back. This is the old pawn shop stuff, you know? If you, if you need cash and you take your watch to the pawn shop and they give you five bucks or whatever, and then you want to get it back, and you got to go give them 20 bucks, and they give you the watch back, and you redeem your watch. This is what Jesus has done. He's redeemed us. But then the question is, well, who am I? Who am I that Jesus needed to redeem me? Look at what it says here. A lost and condemned person. So who am I? I am a sinner. I am lost, and I am, con I am condemned. This flies in the face. I, I've been trying to figure this out, how to say this kind of cleanly. I don't know exactly how to do it yet, but, you know, throughout all human history, there's the great danger has been that we think too much of ourselves. Always, the whole history of humanity has thought that hubris was bad and dangerous. But now, in these last days, people have decided that, no, no, it's dangerous if you think too little of yourself. Low self-esteem is a dangerous sort of thing to be addressed. Now, there's just something for us to realize that we've totally switched, that humanity has gone along pretty well for however long we've been humanity, 6,000, 10,000 years or whatever. We've gotten along pretty well saying, no, thinking that pride is what's dangerous, but now we're trying to cultivate pride, kind of the self-esteem movement. 
which I don't think is going to be that good. But, but you have to understand that this is one of the most offensive things that Christianity confesses against the world, that we are sinners. That when I, when, I, when I stand before the world and say, I'm a lost and condemned person, the world says, you shouldn't think of yourself that way. You shouldn't beat yourself up that way. You shouldn't think so low. You should, you should think of yourself more highly. You should remember that this is what Mr. Rogers taught me, <laughs> that I am special. Right? Now, how about that? that? That doesn't seem like a very dangerous doctrine, does it? That I am special. But it flies in the face of what the scripture says about me, that I am a lost and condemned sinner. Because if I'm special, what do I deserve? If I'm special, then people should treat me like I'm special. And most importantly, if I'm special, then God should treat me like I'm special. Right? There's going to be, at the last day is going to be a surprise for a lot of special people. <laughs> because the danger is, right, that we think too highly of ourselves. Uh, pride has always been the fundamental chief sin. Pride. So that who, how am I to think of myself? I'm a lost and condemned creature. And, uh, and left to myself, that's all I would be. But, look, Jesus has, what has Jesus done for me, a lost and condemned creature? He has purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil. How has he purchased me? Not with gold or silver. That couldn't pay the price. But with his holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. Straight from 1 Peter chapter 1. Why? Why has Jesus done this? Or maybe better, what is the result of Jesus purchasing and winning me? I'm on page 68 if you have a handout. That I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. So that he's redeemed me so that I could be a member of his kingdom, a citizen of his city, a child of his family a member of his court, and that I would serve him in everlasting righteousness, that's justification, <coughs> innocence, that's sanctification, and blessedness, that's glorification. So righteousness, I'm, I'm forgiven. Innocence, I'm by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm trying to do what's right according to the law. And blessedness, that's the joy that we experience on the last day. Now, how do I know this? Because he's risen from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity. I was reading something today. Uh, Alfred Edersheim. Do you guys know Alfred Edersheim? Remember this guy, this old guy, Alfred Edersheim, that I love? He wrote The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah in the, in the year 1901. It's a beautiful book. If you can find it at a used bookstore or something, get your hands on it. You can download it for free if you'd like to read on the screen. Alfred Edersheim, Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. Uh, and he was talking about this. He says, the, the most important event in all of history is also the most well-attested event in all of history, and it is the resurrection of Jesus. Technical difficulties? Well, sort of. In the early part of the class, around 10 minutes in, my phone found the St. Paul Wi-Fi. And since I've been there before, they wanted to log on. And in trying to log on, it shut off the camera recording. I don't know how that happened. It just happened. But I managed to cancel that out and get back to the class as soon as possible. So you didn't miss much. He was talking about that book 
that that guy wrote and how uh, well documented uh, Christ's resurrection was. But he didn't miss much. So apart from that, you're going to get to find out what worldies? Did he say worldies? He said something like that. Anyway, sorry for the interruption in the class. You really didn't miss much. And now, back to the rest of the class, uninterrupted, and I'll see you in a, about 20 minutes. So, to maybe take one step back and say, how am I supposed to think of myself? I think of myself that I'm created in the image of God, that I'm a lost and condemned person, that I'm redeemed by Jesus, that I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that I'm destined for the resurrection. Absolutely. But what about for the world, for those who are, who are not Christians, for what the church used to call the worldlings, do you remember when the preachers used to talk about worldlings? I think we should bring that back. I kind of like that phrase. Oh, you're a worldling, the old preacher would say. A whatling? What? Like you were, like some sort of like a malformed dragon that hatched out of a rock, you know? A worldling. Ugh. But so the world said, because the world says, well, I don't, I don't need Jesus because I don't need a savior. Because I don't need saving. Because I'm just fine. I'm special. I'm a good person. I'm a little bit better than average or whatever. You know? Uh, so the, the first, the fundamental, the, the fundamental preaching of the church is that, we're, is that Jesus saves sinners. And if we don't know that we're sinners, then Jesus seems ridiculous to us. This is what happens. So th th this, is, um, this is one of the big problems of academic theology. Uh, so think about theology in the progressive churches, where they've, they've lost the doctrine of sin, they've lost the doctrine then of God's wrath, maybe that's why, they don't want God to be mean, so, then, so they take away the cause of God's meanness, no wrath, and then they have the question, well what is the deal with the cross? Why would Jesus have to die on the cross if we're all pretty good people? And then, so what's the answer? I mean, it's kind of a, you could make a, up a lot of stuff, I guess, if you're just making stuff up, but one of the answers that they give is that the cross is what, it shows us what happens when people live under an unjust, uh, tyrannical po political rule. It becomes an example of, it's the picture, like Jesus was a hippie being run over by tanks, you know, that's the kind of idea but that's all you have. If the cross, if Jesus isn't set, if Jesus isn't uh, appeasing the wrath of God, then what do you have left? Yeah, Paul. So what happens is in these progressive churches, what happens is you get a life lesson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell you how to live a better life, so all becomes a cross. And what happens is, as people would turn their Christianity, so to speak, at all class. Right. That's it. So you, you, you come to church to get a life lesson. That's exactly right, Paul. And then what, but what happens when the persecution comes? You know? But, uh, someone told me that they had, they had an assignment at seminary, and they were supposed to write like a vision statement for a church or something like this. Uh, and they wrote, the, um, they wrote it something like, it would have been something like St. Paul Church, where sinners are killed and raised. They were put to death and raised to newness of life. And he said, I got a C plus. He said, oh, <laughs> it's too brutal in your face, I guess. But this is what happens with the God, when the, the law puts us to death and the gospel raises us from the dead. That's why, we, that's why we come to church. And there's wisdom that follows. I mean, 
uh, you don't have any questions about this. God wants to give us the wisdom of his word, how to live in this life. And the idea of Christian wisdom and Christian living has been forgotten in the church. We need to recover it. But if it's just, if we just come to church to be wise, then we're missing. I mean, that's like, it's like, it's like going to Texas Roadhouse and only eating the peanuts. <laughs> Someone write that down. I gotta remember that. One. <laughs> I thought when we moved here, it would just be Roadhouse. <laughs> yeah. You just touched on something that occurred to me when you were going through it. You said there's this part of the uh, article that says that I may. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be where we're we're falling short sometimes. Mm-hmm. These days. Mm-hmm. We we don't want to talk about work so badly that we forget the that I may. Right. Yeah, Chris makes this point. This is kind of nice that Jesus has done all of this for a purpose. So it's not like, oh, okay, Jesus could, if he wanted to, baptize you straight into heaven or baptize you straight into the resurrection. But he doesn't. He baptizes you, he gives you his Holy Spirit, and then he sets you loose on the world to, to, to do what, Cheryl? Make mistakes. <laughs> to live in his grace, yes, and also to serve one another and bless one another so that we go out into the world as those who are filled with the Spirit to bless one another and to serve one another and to do good. Yeah, and we shouldn't, I mean, we shouldn't be afraid to talk. Sometimes Lutherans are afraid to talk about that stuff because it's all about, you know, it's not, we don't want to be pietists. In other words, we don't want to emphasize growth and good works over doctrine, but we certainly should rejoice that the Lord sends us out to bless one another. Okay, we got a lot to cover. What time do you guys want to start church? <laughs> we can just have a quick voters assembly meeting right here. Alright, we got to keep moving. Uh, page 68, this is after Luther, the second great mystery, which is the incarnation, the person of Jesus, and here's the, we just want to pick up the technical language that we use in the church. When we talk about the Trinity, we talk about one God in three persons. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are persons in the Godhead. When we talk about the doctrine of the Incarnation, that has to do with the two natures in Christ. So we talk about how Jesus Christ is one person with two natures. So those are the lang- that's the language that we need. One person, Jesus Christ, two natures, divine and human, and the unity of those two, or the, yeah, the communion, or the unity, the union of those two natures is what we call the personal union. There's probably three different unions, or maybe four, that we talk about theologically. This is the most important one, the personal union. Now, there are centuries and centuries of fighting about this in church history. On page 69, I've given you sort of those errors uh, illustrated. Docetism, which said that Jesus only appeared to be human, denies the human nature and says he was just God looking like uh, a man. Nestorianism divides the two natures uh, and says that it's, uh, it, it, uh, well, it, it just puts this hard line between the two, so it denies the personal union. You know how the Nestorians were sorted out? The question was in the early church, could you call Mary the mother of God? Could you call Mary the mother of God? And the Christians said, 
Yes, the Nestorian said, no, she's only the mother of the human nature of God. And they said, ah, you're separate, you're denying the personal unions. So we confess, like all Christians, the Theotokos, that Mary is the God-bearer, or the mother of God. Uh, Apollinarianism, yes. Yes, so, because can you say when Jesus died, can you say this is the death of God? Or when Jesus bleeds, can you say this is the blood of God? And the Nestorius could not, but the Christian says yes, in fact. The most important verse for this is Acts chapter 20, where Paul preaches about the church purchased by the blood of God. And you say, what kind of God has blood? And the answer is, ours. Jesus. It's fantastic. Apollinarianism, uh, how did this go? Apollinarianism was close to adoptionism, and it said that, that Jesus was a human, had like a human body and a human soul, but he didn't have a human spirit. He had the Holy Spirit as his human spirit. So that people were in three parts, and then a third part of Jesus was, a, was, the, was, the, uh, was the God part. That's Apollinarianism. That's also wrong. There was also an error that simply said that Jesus was a human. He had a human body, but he had a divine soul. So we want to say, remember how we say it in the Athanasian Creed? It says that Jesus had, he was of human body and soul consistent. So Jesus had a human body and a human soul. So it wasn't like the incarnation was you took out the soul and put in God. No, Jesus had a human soul also. Uh... Ebionism here denies the divine nature. This would be any, this would be like uh, Arianism or, oh, that's next. How is that different? They look very close to me. <laughs> Same picture. Uh, de denies that Jesus is divine. This would be the modern day Jehovah's Witnesses, yeah. basically. Uh, the uh, Muslims also deny the divinity of Christ. Also, liberal Christianity denies the amazing, denies the uh, divinity of Christ and says that the human Jesus was just a man and a prophet, and then the church made him into the divine Christ. Does that relate to modalism at all? What's that? Mormons. Mormons, is very, so it's hard to say that Mormons deny the divine nature of Christ because Mormons change the what it means to be divine. So Mormons have a very different idea of divinity. So the Mormon idea is as as we are now, God once was, and as God is now, we shall become. So they believe that we're all divine in that way. But it's a different definition of divinity. Eutychianism is here also. This is a denied the distinction of the natures so that it becomes blended up all together in one. One of the great uh, fun debates of the Reformation was that the Lutherans called the Calvinists Nestorian because they said in communion you don't get the body of Jesus, only divine nature of Jesus. And then the Calvinists called the Lutherans Eutychian. They said you failed to make the proper distinction between the two natures. So that was fun. <laughs> now, look at this chart. Oh my, page 70. Whoa. When we talk about the when we talk about the personal union, it comes down to the question of the communication of attributes. 
And so the attributes, because the attributes of the human nature belong essentially to the human nature of Jesus, the attributes of the divine nature belong essentially to the divine nature, but in the personal union there is a communication of attributes. Both attributes, both sets of attributes are both fully communicated to the person of Christ. So you see the divine nature and the human nature uh, below the box there, you have divine nature and human nature and you see both go down to the personal union. Both go there. But here's the very wonderful thing that we confess. I'll give you the, the ridiculous words for it, and then I will give you the, the simple explanation. Is we talk about the genus myostaticum, the majestic genus, which means this. Are you ready? Okay. Like all the attention you can muster for 30 seconds. <laughs> the attributes of the divine nature of Jesus are communicated to the human nature of Jesus through the personal union. So that means all the essential things of the divine nature are given to the man, Jesus. That he knows everything, that he is all-powerful, that he is omnipresent, for example. All of that belongs to Jesus even according to his body, even according to his human nature. So we have, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, that Jesus fills all things. So that the human nature of Jesus is all-powerful. The human nature of Jesus is all-knowing. The human nature of Jesus is in every place. It is not the other way around. So that the, human, the, the attributes of the human nature are not communicated to the divine nature, only to the person. So, so we can say that in Christ, God died, but we cannot, for example, say that the Father died, or that the, the Spirit died. Or we say that in Christ, God bled, but we cannot say that the Holy Spirit bled, or that God the Father suffered, that that belongs to the uniqueness of the Incarnation. But because of this doctrine, we say that the body of Jesus fills every place. Now, the reason why this is so fantastically practical is because not only is the body of Jesus everywhere, but out of that, he's going to say something in about 40 minutes, very specific, is that my body is right here for you. People say, well, how can the body of Jesus be here and also up the street and across the world at the same time? And the answer is that when Jesus ascends into heaven, he takes all of the attributes of the divine nature into his own flesh and lives accordingly. That's in the chart there. Now, that's, that's easy to cover in five minutes, so let's keep going. <laughs> Your homework is to look at that chart and puzzle over it. Yes? Question. Yes, question. So, in Luke chapter 2, you know, verse 40, um, at the end of when, G when it says that the child grew, talking about Jesus, mm -hmm. in wisdom and spirit, Every year when I do this story in my Lutheran school class, I always get asked, did Jesus really have to go to school? Yes. <laughs> That's right. He did. Because remember, okay, so this is one of the differences between what we call the state of humiliation and the state of exaltation. Remember the state of... Um, the state of humiliation is that even though Jesus... From the moment that he's conceived in the womb of Mary, all of the divine attributes belong to Jesus fully. 
And yet, in his state of humiliation, he does not, in every way and at every time, use all of his divine attributes. So he puts them aside so that he can suffer, so that he can be hungry, so that he can be tempted, so that he can go to school, so that he can learn and grow and learn obedience through the things that he suffers, so that he can even die. And then, at the, at the ascension of Jesus, he takes up the full use of his divine attributes always. So in his state of humiliation, Jesus learns and grows and so forth. At his ascension or his resurrection? At his ascension is when this happens. So, at the, so, so the humiliation begins with the incarnation. Now the incarnation is not part of the humiliation. Let me see if you guys are with me. You guys are already like this. Slightly cross-eyed. Now you're going to... You're going to go past cross-eyed. So, but this is an, maybe an important theological point. The, the incarnation is not part of the humiliation of Jesus. Why? Because the incarnation never ends. In fact, the incarnation is part of his exaltation. So the moment that Jesus becomes God and man in, in the, at, the, uh, at his conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary, that's when his humiliation, that's not part of his humiliation, but it's when it starts. And then that goes and goes and goes until the resurrection. And at the resurrection, his state of exaltation begins. But it's at his, his ascension that he fully takes up the, his, the, the divine attributes. It's, it's, at, it's when he sits down at the right hand of the Father that Jesus says, I'm ruling and reigning all things for the sake of the church. Yes, Pastor? Doesn't his exaltation begin with the descent of the Mm-hmm. The ascent into hell, his resurrection. It's just a tricky thing to know what chronologically happens first. Is Jesus resurrected and then descends, or does he descend and then is resurrected? But that's exactly right. So included in the exaltation are the resurrection and the descent into hell, his preaching there in hell, and his appearing and his ascension. And then even his coming in glory is part of his exaltation, and his ruling and reigning in the new heaven and new earth. That's also part of his exaltation. Um, okay. Sure. Matthew 25. No one knows the day or the hour. Yeah, yeah. So in his humiliation, Jesus doesn't know things like uh, nobody knows the day or the hour, not even the sun. Not even the sun, but the Father. Or when Jesus says, what are you talking about? Or when Jesus says, I'm thirsty? Or when Jesus bleeds? Those are all things that don't happen anymore. Yeah, Dan? So...
I would like uh, I would like you guys to take your handout with you. I'll make some more for next week, but I would like you to look. I, in fact, here I'm going to give you a homework assignment, and that is if you look on the bottom of page 70 and the top of page 71, you're going to find vocab words for the gospel: atonement, propitiation, expiation, reconciliation, redemption, ransom, adoption, justification. I would like for you to look at those words and to jot down, here's, here's how I understand these words. And so meditate on those words, what they mean, and so forth. And then we'll start there next week. Look at what we have, the, off, the offices of Jesus, the threefold suffering of Jesus, and then we'll talk about the end times. That'll be, that'll be actually, that'll fit nicely with our theme for next week, and then Revelation 20. So I'll bet you we can get through that next week. <laughs> what do you think? How come you guys all... That's like the funniest thing that I say to you guys. We'll cover this next week. All right. We got 30 seconds for any last thoughts or questions. Paul, oh, Ralph, let's do it. That's right. That, one of the things that the Incarnation does is it allows Jesus to be under the law as a man. Because the law applies to, to humanity, not to divinity. So that Jesus is able to be submissive to the law for us, according to the Incarnation. And in that way, he's able to fill up the righteousness that he gives to us in the Gospel. So he's able to keep all of the commandments so that he can give his keeping of the commandments to us. So that God, uh, when, the, when the time was right, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law. In Galatians. Yes, Lord. That's right. I'm going to show you these pictures. Exactly right. So the, in the it's in his transfiguration that we that we get a little glimpse of the divine nature shining through his human nature, even though it's just a little glimpse. He's still it's like it's like the lights are off and he turns on the dimmer switch to the lowest setting. Does your dining room have a dimmer switch like that? And you turn it on to the lowest setting, and it's just like light. That's like that's how we should understand the transfiguration. And then on the last day, woof, it's all the way up. So that every eye will see him. That's how bright he will shine. Can you imagine it? Ah. Uh, also with the transfiguration, I was thinking about this. Can you imagine if Jesus would have decided to be transfigured on a different day? Like, say, Good Friday. Like the soldiers are about to nail the nails, and he's like, okay. Boom. Can you imagine how different that would have been? <laughs> I mean, I think part of the miracle of the, of the Incarnation is that Jesus doesn't do that. I mean, he cloaks his divinity precisely so that he can die for us. Incredible. Jesus, Jesus quotes Psalm 40 in, or no, Hebrews 10 quotes Psalm 40 and says, uh, Sacrifice you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And so the Lord is saying, uh, you, the bulls and goats can't do it, but I have a body precisely so that I can be a sacrifice. 
I have a body precisely so that I can die. I have blood precisely so that I can spill it for you and give it for you to eat and drink. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we give you thanks for the incarnation of your son Jesus. And we pray that you would send us your Holy Spirit so that we would love to consider these things, to think on these things, to wonder about these things, and to find comfort in these things. That your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, is true God begotten of you from eternity, but he's also true man born of the Virgin Mary, and that he is our Lord who has redeemed us. Give us the confidence and the comfort of this redemption now and until the last day when we will see him face to face. For we ask all of this through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. Bless we the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed that Bible class that Pastor Wolf Miller held at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. And I have to say, if you're ever in Austin, Texas, you have to go to his Bible class and their divine service. Total blessing. It's really a good place to be on Sunday morning. Anyway, did you also catch your homework assignment, right? I won't be here with another video next week from Pastor Wolf Miller. I'll be here, but I won't be here with another video from him. But yet, he still left us with something that him and Pastor Fisk, I think, have been talking about a little bit lately, which is kind of a way of improving on how we catechize our youth and catechize ourselves. And one of the things is to um, not just memorize things, but to learn things, to get them inside of us to where we, we've worked them through a little bit and we, we understand what they mean besides just having it where we could spit it back out. I believe that I cannot find my own reason or strength. Have you thought about what that means? You probably should, because it ties to a lot of important stuff. Well, there's value to just having it in your head, but there's even more value to thinking it through and to really taking it in and making it part of who you are. So your little assignment that he told you about, I'll remind you, is that there's words of the gospel and the works of Jesus that you should just, before you even research it, put two columns on the page, I would suggest. Put a column where you put down, well, let's say three columns. Put a column where you put down the word. Then put down another column where you put down, without it looking it up or anything, what you understand it to mean. Then, do a little research. doesn't have to take long. Think about it for a while. Meditate on it for a little while. And then in the third column, write down what you learned that it, means. It could be exactly what you thought it meant, or if you might have learned something, maybe from the large catechism, maybe from the LCMS Christian Encyclopedia, which you can look up on Google and find. It's a really good resource. Maybe it's from some book you have on your shelf. Maybe it's from some video by Pastor Wolfmiller or Pastor Fisk or Issues Etc. or any number of really good Lutheran teachers. Right? You could find out more about those words, such as atonement. Everybody probably has a catchphrase for that one. Propitiation. That's a fun word. Expiation. What? Reconciliation. Now, that's everybody's got that one down, right? We all have reconciliation down. Redemption. Yes, we understand that, right? 
Or should we look it up? Do a little research. Ransom. Have you really thought about that word? What that word really means? Adoption. There's one that will come in handy in apologetics. Adoption. Do you understand what it means? And do you understand how it applies to you? And how it should apply to other people who call themselves Christians? Do a little research on that one. And the biggie, the article on which the church stands or falls. What is that? Justification. That's right. Justification. Justification. Another one we have a nice little catchphrase for. We probably have a nice catchphrase for atonement. Something about what? At one meant, whatever that means. But somehow we learn it. And then justification. We all tend to learn that one. Just as if. But think about it. Think it through. Write down what you think it means. Not what I say it means. Write down what you find out that it really means. Do a little digging into it. Make it part of who you are. There's some great videos by both Pastor Wolf Miller and Pastor Fisk by Jordan Cooper, on issues, etc. You can just type in the word justification. You'll get lots of great resources. Um, just tons of stuff out there. So do a little work. Do your homework. And maybe, just maybe, I'll come back next week and do a little more in-depth on each one of those words. But do your homework in the meantime. And remember to subscribe and like and share and follow and ring the notification bell and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'll see you next time you join us in the cafe. Cheers. God's blessing. So just for fun, as part of your homework, this is a little extra. Let's go to the YouTube, right, on the TV. Let's go over to search. We have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller already in the top of the search bar. So let's go up to there. And let's also add, I don't know, pick one of those. What were some of those? Expiation. He didn't, he wouldn't have a video out there with that as a tag. So let's pick the at one minute, right? See if anything comes up on atonement. I know we'll get something on justification. You're telling me which way to go. You're less watching me and telling me, go right, go left, go faster. Atone. M E and see Pastor Wolf Miller Atonement. You may not be able to see that, but it's right there. Pastor Wolf Miller Atonement. So we'll go over there. We'll click on that. And this is after you filled in column, the first column where you said what you just remember it being or have learned that it is or think it is. And you type on that. You type on Atonement. And here's a nice video that says surprising details about the Day of Atonement. There's also one about our sins in Christ's body and some others. And then you can study on that, meditate on it, and then without copying it, in your own words, write it in another column. All right, just wanted to throw that in at the end. God's blessings.